unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. With it being a holiday weekend, I know we've got several visitors, and I know several of our members are visiting other places. But if you're joining us here, we uh, welcome you. We hope you'll stay around long enough for us to get to know you better. If you're joining us on social media, we welcome you as well. The beautiful flowers in the auditorium this morning are in memory of Brother Billy Mormon and placed there by the family. With it being a holiday weekend, there are some changes in those that are leading us for worship this morning. 
Now, Brother Joe Garrett is going to be leading our singing. The opening prayer will be by Brother Luther Mormon. The scripture reading will be Brother Stephen Hodgen. Brother Ken will bring us the lesson. Brother Guy Gardner will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And Brother Randy Moore will have the announcements and closing prayer. Would you bow with me as we begin our worship service? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings. And Father, it is such an honor to be able to worship Thee this morning. We pray that You would be with all of those who are leading us in this effort, and we pray that our worship would be pleasing in Your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. morning. <clears throat> First song today will be, We Have an Anchor. <clears throat>
Let us all pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give thee our thanks for the blessing us with this another Lord's Day, Father. We're thankful, Father, that we live in a nation where we can assemble like this and worship thee, Father. We pray, Father, that our worship this day will be pleasing in thy sight. We have so many sick among us, Father. I thought blessing be upon them. We pray, Father, that we can help in any way, and that they be thy will that would help them get better, Father. We're thankful, Father, for the beautiful, comfortable building that we made in, and we're thankful for those that years have gone by may have sacrificed for us to have this comfort. We're thankful for our elders, Father, and we pray for them as, as they uh, lead the flock. And we pray, Father, that there will be unity among us and that we will grow in spirit, also in number. We pray for Brother Ken as he brings the lesson of our work. We thank for him and neither not the blessing be upon them, the continued blessing. We're thankful for the song of praise that we enjoyed this morning. We're thankful for our nation. We pray, Father, that we recognize thee as the Almighty God and, and rule the nation in a way that we please in his sight. I think, Father, forgive us any sins in our lives as we repent and turn from the old thing, Father. And pray that we bless us in our efforts this day. In Christ's name, amen. Song before the lesson today, I shall not be moved. <clears throat> Glory, hallelujah. Brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Good morning, everyone. Hey, isn't this a, a wonderful tribute 
So Billy Mormon's been gone from our presence for a while in the Lord's presence. But Virginia remembers his birthday today with these beautiful flowers. I think that's a special tribute, and I really thank her for reminding us of that. Billy, although I really didn't have the opportunity to experience any time with him, Billy was a major part of the work of this congregation. And I just, I don't know, I I hope as you see this, your eyes kind of grazes this once in a while, that you remember, again, a life that was well-lived in service to the Lord. And I pray that that is the determination of everybody here, that we will commit ourselves to serving the Lord all the way to the very end. Will you do that? I'm going to do that. And I just pray that all of us striving together and taking up this work here in Boonville as our own, that we will we will carry that to the next generation and be involved with subsequent generations. And we will see the Lord's work flourish right here. And not, not just here, but that we can reach out in so many directions to encourage the propagation of the gospel. Today, I'm going to emphasize the fact that if you are a member of the church, you obeyed the gospel, this is the mission that you took up. It's a mission that you took voluntarily as you were washed by the blood of Jesus. When you came up out of that water, you were enlisted in the cause of Jesus Christ. That's a mission you chose to accept. Well, I accepted that too. So here we are together working on a project. That is exciting to me. Today, I want to remind us of some things that will help us, as this text said, to have an abounding work. Some things that you and I can contribute to the work that we're already involved in. Just a few things in regard to our own participation in that work that will make all the difference, I'm sure. But before we start that, let's pray that God will bless us in our study of his word today. Bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to you for this occasion, for this opportunity to be able to study your word together as a family that's committed to the growth of your church here to the influence of souls for eternity. I pray, Lord, that we will be filled with enthusiasm, great zeal as we take up that cause and be able to, in every individual case, to be able to exercise our faith in such a way as to make a real difference. We pray, Lord, that you will open up doors of opportunity for us and that this mission that we are on to save the lost, your mission, that we will be enthusiastic about that. And just depending on the circle of influence that we have and the places that you put us in and the opportunities that you place in our hands, I just pray, Lord, that we will be so in tune with that, that we'll recognize the scope of this work and that we will be all in about it. Help us, Lord, to be successful to that end. Lord, bless me today as I share a few things from this text that I think will be helpful to all of us, including myself. And I pray, Lord, for all the hearers that they'll be able to take this message of yours and make the right application to themselves. Help us, as always, just to be as honest as we can about our circumstances with the desired result, not just to be in denial or just to accept things as they are, but always reaching forward, always striving to do better so that you can complete a great work in us. And thank you for the privilege of serving, both in the aspect of communicating it and in all of us receiving it. Thank you for the blessing that you'll bring through that. In Jesus' name, amen. This thing, we just have an on and off relationship. 
So it is, oh, there it is. It's back on. Our relationship is on. I'm so excited. Okay. So our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. To me, it's a beautiful statement, but I want to try and put it a little bit in context. Because this chapter is the culmination of several things. This entire book has been thought of as just a question and answer session. There were problems in the church in Corinth. Those have been well documented. And a lot of those problems stemmed from a kind of selfishness that was demonstrated in the hearts of so many members. In fact, it was creating division among those members. And that was not healthy for the growth of the church or for the work of the Lord. How are you going to be influential in a society that is basically anti-everything you teach when they look at you and they see, well, you're not really no better than they are. You know, you're divided, you say different things, and you're not impressing us. You're no different from anybody else. So Paul addresses a lot of those issues. If we're going to be successful in our work for the Lord, we have to be together, have to have the same mind about this work. Now, there were a couple of things that were addressed in chapter 15 that absolutely were detrimental to the effectiveness of the message that they preached. There were some members in that church itself who weren't even sure about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul first deals with that. And he makes the obvious point that, you know, if, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So, you know, what is this all about anyway? If, if, we're, if we're believing that Jesus isn't resurrected, if he's not the real deal, then what in the world are we doing? And so as he hashes all of that out, he comes to the conclusion, look, the, the evidence is there, the truth stands, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, and by virtue of that fact in existence, as we work united together on that premise of our salvation in this one faith, then we're going to go forth and we're going to make a difference and in fact, we're going to make such a difference in terms of that resurrection that when we live faithfully all the way to the end, as Revelation 2 verse 10 reminded us, be faithful until death, you'll receive the crown of life. When we are faithful all the way to the end, then I'm promising you it's going to be worth it. And he says, let me just, you know, let me just put that little bit of whipped cream and the cherry on top of that ice cream that we enjoy so much. You know, let's just make it a deluxe session. Beginning at verse 51, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Wait, how do I know my labor will not be in vain? How do I know that as I'm struggling to get it done right now and finding very few positive responses, why is it in my own mind I'm thinking it's a failure and yet you say that we're going to have success? It is because we become so short-sighted. We're all tangled up in the here and now. And if we're on a low ebb, we think that's how it's always going to be. He says, not so. I've already told you that this is not the whole story. But if you will be steadfast and immovable, then you'll be able to abound in the work of the Lord. Your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. So the call to get it together... Keep your mind focused on what is coming. Eternity is at hand. And let's get to work. Let's abound in this work. I find it interesting that the church at Corinth needed such a pep rally. 
You know, that's what we do sometimes for our football teams, right? Or other sports, I suppose, but football tends to be the one that draws all of, all of the interest. So we have a pep rally. We want to spur our team on to success. We know how good they are. And, and, and even if our team hasn't won not one game this year, we'll come together and we'll root them on. We'll say, we're number one, we're number one. We just want to challenge one another to do the very best that we can to spur one another on to success. So Paul writes an entire letter whose purpose basically is to build up this church so that they can see the success that they're missing because of the selfishness, because of the misunderstandings and misconceptions, because they're missing a great opportunity in their own city to reach others for Jesus. Not only did this happen here, I'm sad to say that this was happening a lot of places in the first century. As we've been studying through the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, in fact, we only have one of those left to go. But so far we have seen some sad stories. Isn't that true? We went over there to Ephesus and we saw a church that had left its first love. Here are people who at one time had everything headed in the right direction, but now all of a sudden they have begun to falter. We went over to the church in Pergamos, also an opportunity to do great, and yet because of the, the corruption that surrounded them in their own city, they had fallen a prey to a lot of the disconcerting things of their own community. We come to Thyatira, and yes, there is corruption there as well, and people have just lost their way. How is it that having begun so well, we can get off track so quickly? In fact, the problem was so great in Sardis that they believed that they were alive, but the Lord says, when I look at you, I see that you are dead. And then, in fact, the church that we have yet to discuss was the church in Laodicea. And according to the Lord, they were worse than dead. They were lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, neither alive nor dead. And he says, I just, I just want to vomit you out of my mouth. You say, well, that's only five, Ken, and there were seven churches. And Well, that's true. Two of those churches, Smyrna on the one hand and Philadelphia on the other, despite all the same kinds of problems in their own cities, facing much persecution, they still remained faithful. Are there going to be challenges? There's no doubt about that. In fact, we can expect that there are going to be challenges. In the life of a congregation, there is always an ebb and a flow. There are times when things are exciting and great, and there are times when they're difficult. We've got to be able, through God's help, to be able to stand the test of time, to take the good times for what they are and rejoice in that, and when the difficult times come, that we arise to the challenge. That's what this text is all about. We know we're going to heaven. We're going to be faithful all the way to death. Look, when the Lord comes back, He's going to have overcome death. We're going to be in immortal, incorruptible bodies. It's going to be amazing. But until such time as that happens, let's be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. To, to abound? I, I think that's... Well, it's one of those translations that doesn't quite hit the mark. In the sense that to abound literally means to super abound. To go beyond the banks. To exceed, to excel. To be not only what you ought to be, but to go over the banks of it. To be so involved in this that you have a super abundance of everything that you need. That's what we are striving to do. If I want to have that abundance, that kind of abundance, 
Then he says there are several things that have got to be added or contributed to that abundance of work. One thing that we're going to contribute is steadfastness. Steadfastness is what is going to contribute to an abounding sort of work. Now, what does it mean to be steadfast? Here's another word to consider when you see that word right there. It's the idea of being settled. I don't know how many of you have built driveways before. (laughs) When you build a driveway, you don't just take a bulldozer, make a flat spot, and then put asphalt on it. The ground isn't settled. You put gravel or some type of compacting material, you'll compact that, probably let it sit for a while, and then you can, once that foundation is very firm, you can begin to put a more permanent solution on top, asphalt, concrete, something like that. Sometimes when we are doing measurements of things, Say we've got some sugar or some flour, we'll put it in the container, we'll kind of tap it a little bit, maybe on the countertop. And notice that where it was kind of sinks a little bit. That's because there's a settling that occurs. That which was spread apart, when tapped just a little bit, begins to compress itself. You ever get frustrated that you go to the supermarket and get you a box of cereal that's this big? And then you open it up and it's only filled like halfway full. There'll be a little statement on the box that says something to the degree of some settling may occur. (laughs) Really? (laughs) The idea of steadfastness is the sense of settling. And that is, and I'm getting the idea that the longer I'm at this, the more compressed in my determination of faithfulness, uh, in, in, my, in my willingness to take on tasks, it's just the sense that I'm becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, more compacted in my faith, more durable, better able to stand the pressures that exist. Now, I love this. He says, you be steadfast. That's going to result in an abounding work. If you will be steadfast... That's going to be one of the components of your work just going over the boundary, of going over the limit. It will have exceeded everything you ever imagined. Just be settled. I'm pretty sure that the things that unsettle us, usually not the things on the outside. In fact, I'm thinking in this particular word usage or analogy that the idea is that there are forces on the outside that tend to make it possible for us to become more settled, that kind of press on us and make us tighter and stronger. I I don't get the idea that the problem would be something from the outside being able to tear me up and unsettle me. Usually it's not that at all. Usually it's something that's coming from the inside that begins to unsettle us, to get us off of our commitment I'll mention a few names. Maybe you'll recognize them. I I chose some names that I thought were identifiable for most people. One name would be the name Esau. Esau, listen, he had everything going for him. He is the son of Isaac. The son of Isaac. The firstborn of Isaac. Okay, so if you know about Abraham and Isaac and the promises to come, you know that being the firstborn is about the the greatest privilege, the the greatest historical privilege that a person could have. The likelihood is that you are going to be in a line that is going to result in the promise that God made to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Wow! Except that Genesis chapter 25 Verses 27 to 34 in particular, find a man who is so, so worldly, literally worldly, an outdoorsman type, only interested in the things of the world, literally, physically. He is a person who is so hungry, he would sell that birthright, the blessings of a lifetime, for a bowl of soup. Later, a couple of chapters, 
we find the same man who has a second opportunity to receive a blessing from his father and perhaps restore all of the glory of a position that he had squandered, and yet he loses that too. And we find him down this worldly, strong, burly man crying like a little child, bless me, me also, oh my father. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning at verse 14, the text says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently, lest anyone fail of the grace of God, lest anyone fall short of that mercy, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know how that afterward, when he would have received the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. In other words, here was somebody who recognized he had lost it in his own foolishness. He regretted it. He went back trying to get it again, but it was gone. And there wasn't anything that anybody could do to restore what he had lost. You see, on the outside, it seems like everything's working for him. But on the inside, he became so unsettled that all of those hopes and dreams just dissipated into nothing. Another couple of names. This is from the book of Leviticus, actually, chapter 10, the first few verses. Two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Sons of Aaron, you say, wait a minute, I recognize that name. That was the first high priest of the children of Israel. That was Moses' brother. I mean, everything spiritually was vested in Aaron, and his sons were in line for that. Wow, what a great opportunity. They were given the responsibility of fire that God had provided to, to produce the, the smoke for the incense. But those boys in the execution of their office failed drastically in that they chose to use what's referred to as a profane fire instead of the fire that God had provided. As a result of that, God shows his anger by consuming them by fire. Ouch. What happened right there? You hear a couple of guys that have everything going for them, but they just... You know, in a moment, lost their commitment, their dedication, their foresight, their focus. Whatever the distraction, and lots of debates about that, the bottom line is that they just, in that moment, chose to do what pleased them as opposed to what God had commanded. And they paid dearly for that. Another name that surely you will have heard is named Judas. Judas Iscariot. This guy is a hand-selected disciple of Jesus. This group will later be referred to as the apostles, those who are specially commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That preaching and teaching of theirs would trickle on down to us, but they were commissioned with that responsibility. Twelve special men. Judas Iscariot is one of those men who also had extra responsibility in that he was in charge of the, the money that they collected along the way. Must have been a small sum, but he was effectively the treasurer. But turns out Judas betrays the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And I'm gathering that his conscience recognized the disparity between what he had done and 30 pieces of silver to a man like that, a paltry sum. And as a result, he later has regret, but he doesn't settle it by, by confession to the Lord or turning his life around in dedication and serving him with all that he's got of an overflowing legacy. But he goes out and he hangs himself. Is there anything in you that is causing you to become unsettled? I mean, you know, you, you began your Christian life and 
<laughs> people did their best to just pack it in on you, right? They, they gave you responsibilities. They patted you on the shoulder. They told you what an amazing job you were doing. And, and you did great for a while, but I don't know. Maybe there are discouragements. Uh, we can even have jealousies develop within us. Uh, there's the sense of dividedness. Uh, we could just go through that letter to the Corinthians and identify just over and over and over all of those things that Satan will use to get in our head and to just separate us from the thing that should mean the most to us, to cause us spiritually to become so unsettled. And whether that is dispensing of a great blessing that is just right in our hands, whether it is refusing to do what God has told us in order to exercise something we would rather do, or whether it is just selfishness on our part for whatever reason to see our way, even to the dismissal of someone who's important to us. If there is something inside of us that is creating that unsettling feeling, it's going to keep us from that abounding work. The second thing that we find in our text is immovability. Immovability is one of those things that is going to contribute to an abounding work in the Lord. Okay, so... Actually, Luther asked me Wednesday night when he saw the text. He says, what does the word immovable mean? And so, you know, I dug deep. And I said, now Luther, and Luther, correct me if I didn't tell you this, but I said, Luther, it means immovable, <laughs> not moved. <laughs> he said, that's what I thought. <laughs> immovable means exactly what it sounds like it means. It means I cannot be moved from right here. Some have said that it goes back to the way that the shoes on Roman soldiers were. The spikes were angled in such a way as to give positive traction. So you're always moving forward, but no retreat. You cannot move me from where I am. That, that is the mindset of the child of God that says, I'm taking this ground and I'm not giving it back. So I'm serving the Lord with all that I've got. I'm all in, as we said before, and we are moving forward. That is our commitment. So in this case, I, I, I've got it. I'm going to hold it right here. We sang a song a moment ago that... I think the connection is made with Psalm number one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not perish, and whatever he does shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Ooh. So, I want to be like that tree planted by the water. I shall not be moved. Be like that tree planted by the water that is, is green and growing, got the leaves going. The reason why is because it is by a source of perpetual nourishment. But he says the ungodly aren't like that. They are withering up and drying up and perishing, going away. So if I'm going to keep moving forward, if I've really made this commitment to, to move, one of the world could be the problem. I'm not going to let the internal strifes cause me to do anything crazy. I'm going to keep moving forward. I, I think that's probably it. And I think Psalm 1 gives us some great instruction in regard to that. And that is, it's not so much what's happening on the inside, because I've made my commitment, I'm in this. But maybe it's the influence of those voices on the outside. You know, like 1 Corinthians 15, same text. In verse 33, evil companions corrupt good morals or good habits. I'm, I'm doing good. Wait, what, wait, what did you say? You know, what, wait, what? What? 
There was a man by the name of Amnon. You'll read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 13, practically the whole chapter. He was the son of David. He was one of those sons who is going to reap the consequences of David's bad choices so many years before. But Amnon now is likely to be king if David dies. He is going to naturally take the throne. But Amnon, the text says, had a friend. His name was Jonadab. And Jonadab was one of those friends that is a yes man. He is not the kind of friend who hears you say something that is amiss or is bad for you and then tries to correct you or help you to find a better path. This was a friend who always said, yes, whatever you want, I'll help you do. In this case, Amnon had an infatuation with his own sister Tamar. And he had bad intentions on his mind. Jonadab, instead of talking him through it, offering him good advice, helped to facilitate the entire situation. Here's somebody who was focused, intent, going to be king someday. But those voices on the outside ultimately led to his death at the hands of Absalom, his half-brother. There's a man by the name of Solomon. You've heard of him. 1 Kings chapter uh, 11, verses 1 to 3, describes his household. That man had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. No offense, but he certainly had to be the wisest man in the world to deal with that. I'm just saying. But seriously... The text says that he loved them. He loved their counsel. He listened, in other words, to what they had to say. Unfortunately, they were foreign wives who worshiped foreign gods. And they led his heart astray. You see, it's not a case of them forcing him to do anything. He loved them. He wanted to see them happy. What what can I do, friend, (laughs) spouse, to make you happy. That'll take us off of our move forward. Same example. You say, well, that's a case where I clearly see it. You've got people who are foreign gods. Nothing good was ever going to come of that. Okay, peace. How about this? Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, members of the church, husband and wife, with good intentions, we're going to take this money that we've gotten from the sale of land, we're going to give it to the work of the church, we're going to lay it down at the apostles' feet just like Barnabas did. That's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? It is, except that they lied about it. They lied by saying we were giving it all, but they really didn't. Could they have given less? They could have, or they could have chosen to give nothing. But you know, here we are moving forward, striving for the best. We're trying to to stay on course, immovable, aren't we? Except that we begin to talking about how we could have the best of both worlds. We could have the acclaim of having given like Barnabas did, but we also could hold some back and spend it on ourselves. Nothing wrong with you spending money on yourself. But when you made that commitment, you were moving forward. Now all of a sudden we have conspired and lied to the Holy Spirit. And let me promise you this. If I conspire against God, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but I am going to pay the price. And whether it is a best friend or even a spouse, God help us not to get off of our focus in service to the Lord. So I've got to contribute steadfastness, and immovability. What else, Ken? You said that there were three. Well, I I want us to understand that knowledge is also a part of this. Knowledge is something that contributes to this abounding work that we are involved in. Knowing, he says, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you will do these things, you can be confident that you are going to have success. God says this, that, that that is true. You are guaranteed the success. Why do we ever get down on ourselves? We say, well, I'm just not seeing it happening. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing the results that I want. Stop that. 
You just do the work. God says, I will bring the blessings. I'm the one who will bring it along. You just stay focused. Keep going. Remain settled. Keep moving forward. And I'm going to do it. You can know that this is the case. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep moving forward. That's the idea. Here in this church in Corinth, all this division, Paul says, let's stop that and realize how the thing really works. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and following, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's field, you're God's husbandry, his building. He says, you really think more highly of yourself than you ought to when you think you accomplished this. He says, what I did and what Apollos did, that was nothing. It was God who's the one that gave the increase. Don't look at one or the other of us and say, well, I like them better because they're more effective. You don't know that. God may actually be creating more effectiveness in the person who doesn't seem to have results than he is in the person who's bringing them in gangbusters. We can't see the backstage. We don't know what's beyond the veil. However, God promises that if each one of us in our own capacity will just get in there and do the work, be settled, hanging on, moving forward, that He's the one who's going to give the increase. All glory be to God. In fact, Jesus said, as regards that, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait, what, what does he mean by that? We thought the Pharisees were the most righteous, right? They, wore, they looked it and they acted it. They told everybody else about how bad they were in comparison to their great righteousness. How could my righteousness exceed it? How could it go above and beyond? Well, perhaps by being steadfast and immovable in the things of the Lord. Not just the accomplishment of a task, that is a given, because God's going to give that. But what about my attitude? Those Pharisees looked down their long nose of self-righteousness and condemned everybody else. What am I doing in the process? Am I judging others? Am I maybe putting myself up a little higher by squashing somebody else down? The Corinthian church did that. Paul condemned it. What better we should do is to make our own personal commitment and then let's just encourage each other in the work that we're doing. Let's just build one another up. Some will seemingly accomplish more than others, but we don't have the measuring stick. God does. So I'll encourage you and you encourage me and we'll just, we'll just encourage one another all the way to heaven. In Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, that scripture says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of a great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are, guess what? Zealous for good works. That's you and me having been trained by Jesus himself to get in there and be steadfast and immovable. And when we do that, we will abound in the work of the Lord. It is a guarantee. So here's what I'm thinking. Given the scope of the work that we have to do, facing an, an entire world that needs Jesus, we need to get as focused as we possibly can be. Not looking at everybody else, but just, just, just being serious about my work. And then when God blesses it, just stand back and be amazed. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, 
to fight the good fight of faith and to lay hold on eternal life. If you're a child of God today, you have a challenge before you. Get focused and don't ever give up. Don't become, don't become loosened on the inside and stick your ground on the outside. Don't be influenced by those around you to negative decisions that, that get in the way of your success. And don't be overwhelmed by, by the, the, the negative talk that's going on on the inside. Remain focused on the work at hand. If you're not a child of God today, then today's the day to take the step to become a part of this mechanism we just described, a place of success spiritually that takes us all the way to heaven someday. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God today, confessing that faith, repenting of your sins, you can be buried in water, have your sins washed away. You'll rise up in newness of life, and we will rejoice with you and the angels in heaven. If there's anybody who needs to respond, now is your opportunity. Why don't you come forward while we stand together and sing?
anyone needs a Lord's Supper emblem, please raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. We direct our hearts and minds to the cross. The scripture on the screen behind me reads, For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you pro proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we're here to do at this time. Bow with me. Dear God, we thank you so much for this bread, which is from reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Our prayer is that we partake it in a manner that's pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we also thank you for this cup, which reminds us of the blood that was shed for each one of us. We pray now that we partake of this cup in a manner that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're also commanded to give. There's lots of ways we can do that. They're on the screen behind me now. Bow with me as we thank God for all the things he's blessed us with. Heavenly Father, we do this morning bow before you with thankful hearts for the way you have blessed us materially. God, our prayer this morning is that you will Allow us to give back to you all that we can. And God, then our prayer is that we will take that and use it in a way that is most pleasing to you and does the most good to further your kingdom. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, and thank you for being here on this beautiful Sunday morning. We had 287 in services this morning. I have several announcements. Uh, there's a bridal shower table set up in the foyer for Katie DeMio and Justin Kelton. And Katie is the daughter of Becky Nims and the granddaughter of Sue Potts. All men are invited to the Brotherhood Breakfast Devotion next Sunday morning in the Annex at 8.30. If you're planning to attend, please sign the, the sheet in the foyer. And if you'd like to help, Aaron Foster and Jody Long would love to have your help. Also, we're going to be doing something different Wednesday night. Uh, when you get to church Wednesday night, you'll come into the auditorium and then we'll have the announcements and devotion and then you'll go to class. We've been doing it opposite of that. So we're going to come into the auditorium Wednesday night first thing. We've been asked to remember Steve Morgan in our prayers. He is scheduled to have heart surgery very soon. And also keep Sue Hodkin in uh, your prayer. This is Stephen's mother. Uh, she is currently in the hospital in Tupelo. I have a couple of cards 
Uh, dear church family, thank you for your prayers, calls, visits, texts, and concern for me. Uh, thank you for the food that you provided for me. I have enjoyed it very much. Please continue to keep me in your thoughts and prayers. Signed, Rumel Palmer. And I have a card from the Frankie Sarton family. Thank you for your prayers, calls, and visits during mom's sickness. We will forever be grateful to you for your love and support. Signed, the Sarton family and the Green family. That is all the announcements I have at this time. Would you please stand for our closing prayer? Our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do once again thank you for this day and the opportunity that we've had to come out and study your word once again. Lord, we pray that what we've learned today, may we apply it to our lives and may as a result better serve you. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Forgive us, Lord, wherein we've sinned against you. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.